welcome everyone to the seventh official Market Insights podcast. This week, I am joined by Gavin Miller and Tim Keach to discuss fallen giants once again, or sorry, sleeping giants once again. And this week, we're doing Sciencem. But first, I'll introduce myself. My name is Andrew McGregor, aka El Pavotti, FTBL on football. Guys, introduce yourselves. Bonjour, ça va? Je m'appelle Tim Keach, aka Soft, Stop Punching on Twitter. I had to do it in French because we are doing a French club. Today. I am absolutely not as cultured as you, Tim. Uh, so I'm just going to say that I'm Gavin Miller or Pure Football on Twitter. And I'm absolutely buzzing to be back talking with you guys about football. Guys, football is football is back this week. How have we found the, the, the return of the Premier League? Obviously, we're a very Premier League-centric podcast. But how have we found the return to football? Have we enjoyed it? Have we not enjoyed it so much? I'll just quickly jump in and say I'm glad that Jay's not on the podcast because um, I feel like you might have something to say about uh, the mighty Newcastle smashing the Blades um, 3-0. And uh, Joe Linton always had it in him, was never in doubt. <laughs> well, he's the patron saint of the Market Insights podcast, isn't he, Joe Linton? We've discussed him a fair few times on here, so it was nice to see him get a performance. And someone tweeted me, ha-ha, you thought Joe Linton was good after that first half miss, and then he scored, so ha-ha to them. Saving <laughs> <laughs> that up. Well, we had the the thrilling Merseyside derby to enjoy, didn't we, Andy? And, uh, yeah, it was a... Uh... It was a game that's now finished, and uh, we, didn't lose. we didn't lose in Merseyside derby, which is always a bonus. So, uh, yeah, there, no, I, think I, thought, I thought for once, though, on you know, at the return of football, obviously, you've got you can see the talent gap in certain games, especially when Manchester City play. You know, obviously, the, the, their talent is just so much more than other sides that the you know, the, the, you know, span teams. But I think if you look at that Everton game, that was. Don't be wrong, it lacked the atmosphere of the usual Merseyside derby, but I thought it was a smart tactical performance by Everton. And I think it was a bit of a mature performance by some players. And I, I think that was a step a step in the right direction. Obviously, we need more quality, but, you know, yeah, I mean, you, I'm, you I'm you really happy. Yeah. You looked at the midfield before we lined up and thought a midfield of Gordon, Davis, Gomez and Iwobi up against kind of the, the masters of the steel wall of Liverpool's midfield and their attack running behind and you, you thought the worst, but actually you showed what smart coaching can do and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, I enjoyed the the, the, the Southampton game on, um, I think it was Saturday afternoon as well. I think you know, there's been a couple of games I thought were all right. I don't mind the fake crowd. Points. But we'll, we'll see how it goes for these you know, last seven or eight games that are left. But on to, on to the actual t- subject of today's podcast. Obviously, we were doing our you know, mini-series of Sleeping Giants or Fallen Giants, as for some reason, since the start of the podcast. Mm-hmm. But we are going to talk about San Etienne, Les Averts, yeah. uh, today. Um, I'll just run through quickly you know, the history. As I say, what we usually do is we just sort of discuss the history, what we think about the team, we discuss the recent issues and why they, we, we call them sleeping giants, and then we'll obviously talk about some possible solutions for the future. So, San Etienne, obviously, you know, 10 times league champions, you can really divide the history up into really a three managers, but it's one dynasty really in the 60s and the 70s under Jean Sanella, uh, Albert Bateau, and Robert Herburn, which, you know, you know, all ended in 1980-81 when they won the last and the tenth and last title, which is still a league uh, record. A match with Marseille both on ten. Paris Saint Germain, if they win their tenth title next year, will also tie that record as well. Uh, they, you know, Herbert won four titles and also took them to the 1975-76 European Cup final, where they lost, lost to Franz Beckenbauer and Gerd Mullers by Munich one nil. Uh, Albert Bateau was the was the legendary Reims manager who also took them to the European Cup final, and he won. You know, he won, then he won three titles with Saint Etienne. So he was the builder of two different dynasties in France. Obviously, one of France's all time great managers. There, uh, legendary players who played for Saint Etienne. You've got uh, the goalkeeper Ivan Kerkovic. You've got the midfield Dominic Bathenay, the Ravelli brothers, Patrick and Hervé, Dominic Rochdale, uh, Salih Keita, the famous African striker. Of course, Michel Platini, uh, former Spurs manager, uh, Jacques Santi and Johnny Repp, the Dutch World Cup, famed Dutch World Cup striker for Holland as well. So they've obviously had a lot of good players. They've obviously got a rich history. And in terms of France, I guess they would be you know similar to a Liverpool in terms of their period of dominance in the 60s and 70s and obviously the early 80s as well. Obviously, Liverpool still managed to win trophies somehow all these years later. However, what guys, you know, what what do you think have been what what are your you know opinions overall? What what is your your memories of maybe San Etienne? Or what is your you know Biden thoughts about them as a club? They're they're a funny funny club, San Etienne, because 
for most of my life, and I'm 40, they've been fairly kind of irrelevant in terms of European storied clubs. You wouldn't you wouldn't have looked and thought St Etienne, they, they are one of the kind of great teams of France because it was before my time. But when you actually look back at the, the 60s, 70s, and as you say, into the early 80s, they were a team that kind of people slightly older than me used to talk about in these kind of revered terms of one of the great European sides. And they're a, they're a very good example of kind of a mid-sized club who you would love to look at now and think, how could you how could you bring them back to what they they were? And obviously, being in France, they've had really talented players even in, in recent years. So it's a question of like, how can, how can that mid-sized club become dominant? A bit like a kind of Forest or Derby who kind of have won a European Cup and you look now and think how was that even possible for them to have to have won those trophies so yeah they're a, they're a really interesting club with a obviously a storied past but one who has kind of struggled for a good 30 plus years now 30 or 40 years. It was interesting that you mentioned Andy about about memories of St Etienne and I, I know you specifically said uh, don't say none um so I I thought thanks Gav I I thought that I would you know I would I, there wasn't anything that really stood in my mind about Saint Etienne but then I went back and I looked and uh, and you mentioned it there in the nineteen seventy five I actually watched uh, the highlights recently of the game against Rangers um, obviously that's the Scottish connection so I'm sticking with it um, <laughs> and uh, you know I I think I read some reports of the game after and it was. It was viewed that Saint Etienne would really struggle to get past Rangers before um, the the games kicked off. But uh, and watching back and uh, Herve Ravelli, um, what a player he was, um, and three hundred goals, yeah, absolutely incredible. And uh, his goal uh, um, at Ibrox was just incredible. And I think that you know, for a team, it, it must be quite sad for for fans to you know the older generation to think back of what you used to have. Um, and especially, you know, in, in France now, as as you sort of alluded to earlier, there's there's a real dominance with some of the other clubs just now. And it's going to be difficult for Saint Etienne to get back to that. But um, I think that you know, recently they they look like they've they've not really had a clear identity. Um, and I think um, that that's something that hopefully they'll be able to to bring back. And that's I think is it five managers in the last. Four years. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we're going to get on to the re- recent issues in a minute. I think you know, if you look at, for me, like Tim with Sanetti, my, my dad's a, a Liverpool fan and I grew up with stories of the David Fairclough quarter final, I think it was 1977, where he came off the bench to send Liverpool through to the semi finals. And I, I sort of grew up with the, the, the you know, the impression that Sanetti were a huge club. And even though, in my, in, you know, in my childhood, they were relegated and, you know, a, a bit of a yo yo club in, in Liga and, you know, I, you look at the, but the, my sort of memories of Sanetti is they've always had good players. I think you know we'll get on to the academy soon, but they've always had a real good quality of players, and they've also have always found good players as well. You know, like Pierre Pierre Emerick Aubameyang obviously played for them, Dimitri Payet of course as well. And I think that that you know, unfortunately for them, we're probably not the best generation to discuss you know memories of Sanetti because they were so good. You know, I suppose it'd be like if Liverpool or Manchester United under Ferguson, for example, you know, after being so dominant. Basically, started getting relegated every other season. You know, uh, you know, we got relegated a couple of times and never that, won that anything for thirty years. Well, it'd be crazy if it was for Liverpool. But you know, <laughs> in the last thirty, you know, the last, you know, if you think about it, they've won one Coupe de Liga in the last thirty years, and I think they're in the final this year of the uh, the French League, the French Cup against Paris Saint-Germain, you know, I can only imagine what the result of that will be. But, you know, it's just been a difficult time for them. You know, in terms of issues, the issues actually did start, you know, way back when, you know, the the year after they won the title, unfortunately, Robert Herban, after, you know, a fallout with the the owners at the time, he left. And that was the end of the dynasty, really. They had a financial uh, scandal involving a controversial slush fund that led to the departure and jail of the long-time president, Roger Roger. Uh, And, you know, they basically suffered a free fall and they got relegated 
the 1983-84 season. So from winning all those titles and being the European, you know, really good European side, they got relegated and then basically didn't really do anything for a lot of years. They've never, they've never really been in another title race. And then in 2001, 2000, 2001, the club was basically had five different managers that season and also had to deal with a scandal involving two players, a Brazilian Alex Diaz and the Ukrainian goalkeeper Maxim Latibsky, who utilised fake passports and both were suspended for four months. And at the end of the judicial inquiry, the, the you know, unfortunately some of the staff were found to be involved and San Etienne were again docked seven, you know, seven league points and were relegated. So realistically, it's been, you know, a, a a bit of a tragic, tragic story, especially for the fans after you know that, that period of success. You know the, the it, it, it's it's you know for that period of success and then to the financial problem. And realistically, they've had you know various bouts of financial problems since. I think that this you know with the unfortunate COVID nineteen pandemic that we're suffering through at the moment, they've the the back under unfortunately the spotlight in terms of financial financial restraints. But yeah, so it's not been, it's not been great and you know, they've had, you know, a number of managers and although Christophe Gaultier was manager from two thousand and nine to two thousand seventeen, they've had, you know, a fair few managers in that time and John Gass John Luis Gasset got them to fourth recently, but then he left as well. So there's been no real stability at the club. And unlike last week where we discussed AC Milan where you can really see the issues you know, involved why the clubs fell you know fell away from the top end of the Italian league table with Sanetti and this has been a, th- a thirty year issue and I think you know it, really it's a more of an examination of French football so it, for you in terms of you know, French football wh- why do you think the French football is since that you know that, that dominant period of the early nineties with Marseille when they won the Champions League obviously they had to forfeit the title due to irregularities but why do you think the French clubs haven't and obviously Paris Saint Germain a different case now why do you think French clubs haven't been able to sustain a success on a global scale? I think there's there's the financial point first of all. I don't think with the kind of this, the money that went into Italy and Spain and certainly then the Premier League, French clubs have been much. The domestic TV deal has been much smaller. There hasn't been that kind of global interest in the leagues. They haven't really gone for that kind of approach that each of those other divisions did of just buying the world's best players. They've always had this idea in France that they develop their own players. And certainly, as you can see through the the sheer volume and quality of players they develop, um, it works. But it is also a very, very French egalitarian league in that they don't they haven't had until Paris Saint-Germain a dominant force hoovering up and becoming the representative of France. Even in terms of player development, it is still very much amateur clubs will be producing players. They use the uh Claire Fontaine, another kind of development centre approach rather than the big clubs hoarding all the best players and kind of hoovering up all the talent from their regions. It's very much a a league which is believes in parity and believes in, and as you saw probably through the 90s, that the league title changed hands almost every year whilst the kind of all the other leagues were establishing these periods where you had a top four or five who were the same every single season. So they definitely have a a view of life in France, which is far more far more egalitarian than the rest of Europe, and they prosper for it in some areas. But in terms of dominating global super clubs, they haven't until the uh, the flood of money into Paris Saint Germain. Do you think that the there's maybe an an issue with so you know the the focus being on development and the the question around about teams not being able to sustain success? Um, is that because clubs are continually selling their players, so the reliance on the next level of, you know, youth intake or you know finding that next gem? It's it's much harder when you've got four or five teams doing that rather than just the one or two. So you know, I, I think back to you know the success that Monaco used to have, um, and they obviously had their team picked apart. Then you had the same at Lille, who are probably likely to. I know PSG are still the big force, but Lille are likely to receive the similar sort of thing just now. So I think is it is it maybe something around about that that there's so much um, disruption in terms of squad stability, in terms of your your key players, and it's always difficult to lose. You know, uh, like a Nicolas Pepe for for Lille, how important he was. I know they've actually done a pretty good job, but that was just the example that came to my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy to, to continually find the next sort of key player for, for your team. And that's where you can have that drop-off if you're reliant on one individual to 
to prop you or propel you further up the table. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that Saint-Étienne, like a lot of French clubs, are a story of French football, really, in that you're right there in the sense that basically you can't build a side or have that at times continuity to be, you know, to be a force in Europe because any time you basically put your head above the parapet, like we saw with Monaco, like we've seen with Lille recently, like we saw with Monaco in the, in the late 90s, you know, at times... Once you do that, the big financial powers are going to come and, and raid your side, really. And you know, look, you know, I talk about the academy of, of you know Sanetian. Look at the players they produced in recent years: William Saliba, who obviously signed for Arsenal last summer, is a really good young centre back. Wesley Fofana, he'll probably move eventually. Uh, Monaco uh, took Ronald Pierre Gabriel. He hasn't really worked out, but they took him at a very young age. Alan Saint Maxima came through the, uh, the San Etienne Academy. Kurt Zuma, of course, played for Chelsea and Everton, Stoke in the Premier League. Josua Guilavogi, who played, who's gone on to Wolfsburg. Baftimbi Gomez, Swansea player, of course, in the Premier League. And Willie Sanyos, they've, they've obviously produced players. And you know the list of players that they've also had and they've been able to keep in recent years. You know, you look at, again, seeing Payet, um, Aubameyang, Goulam, who plays for uh, Napoli, and, and Blase Matuidi as well. These are players who've you know if they've been able to keep these and sustainably build. Then yes, then you could have a you could have a, a team that could challenge for trophies maybe. But because of the way the French league sits within the pyramid of football, it is called the league of talents. That's how they market themselves. And I think due to the financial disparity, it's very hard for teams. On, other than PSG and Lyon over the last 20 years, to gain any sort of foothold on a global scale. Obviously, Monaco as well, sorry. But apart from those teams, it seems very cyclical. You know, you, you, know, you had that, that Lyon domination in the early 2000s for seven years. Then you had a couple of teams win the title. And then apart from Monaco in 1617, PSG, ever since the QSI investment authority came in, there's been nothing. And I think... I think you know, we'll get on to it when we discuss possible solutions. But I think the French league as, it, as itself has really suffered over the last twenty years because it's become the little because it is the little brother to those big leagues. And you know, Tim, do you think? Do you think? You know, just you know, do you, do you think that there's, there's been a scope for French leagues to become better, or do you think their financial power has held them down a lot? I think with the uh, the new TV deal, which is coming into France, although I think there is some kind of controversy around whether it'll actually be as lucrative as was promised because I think there's kind of scaling back the promises post-COVID. Um, I think it was reliant on a lot of growth They've, they're now not factoring into happening. But and either way, there there is the prospect of more TV money going into the French leagues. More money should theoretically mean the ability to retain players longer um, and potentially to to keep them until they're at peak value. Although I don't think there's a problem in France with players being sold on the cheap. I think they do. I mean, with Nicolas Pepe as an example, they they get value for money from their their sales. It's it's how that money is kind of reinvested, and I think there's a there's other income streams that Premier League and European giants have in terms of massive sponsorship deals, kind of shirt deals and uh, media related activities, and kind of all that all the stuff that surrounds the kind of the, the Premier League and that that hype of hosting games, maybe like ticket prices, everything like that, means that the income streams in the Premier League are going to still probably be significantly larger. But I think the gap is narrowing. And I think they'll probably be able to hold on to players for an extra a year in their cycle, development cycle, which which may well mean that they get that boost. But I think the uh, the thing with, with the French League is, as you say, they, they, they label themselves as talent developers rather than the biggest clubs. I think there's there is scope to change that with the extra influx of money, but whether it happens, I'm slightly cynical about it happening in the short term. I think probably over the next five years or so, it might be able to build up clubs with interest around the world. But there's only so many leagues you can follow, and I think Premier League's obviously in Spain are probably the the two big ones. With Germany having done quite a good job in recent years with their their ability to kind of use YouTube and produce video content which has kind of engaged people um from outside the traditional followers of that league whether france can do the same i don't know what do you reckon gav yeah i think that uh you you made a really good point there tim about um revenue and, and one of the things that i looked at from st etienne over the last 10 years was how was their um net spend so it looks like they're on a, a an approximate 59 million in the plus from transfers 
And it, mm. it brought me back to it's how they're investing the money that they're getting from these big sales of, you know, like your your Saliba to Arsenal for twenty seven million, um, your Aubameyangs, your Zumas, etc. It's the players that they've brought in to replace the players they've sold out in the past few years is it's definitely not been uh of an ilk that would suggest that you're you're finding that next sort of talent. If you look at, for example, Wabi Kazri, who didn't have a the best time at Sunderland, um mm. So spending six million on him was that you know a wise investment? It's obviously questionable. Um, he was he was done reasonably well for them. Yeah, I, I just more mean like is that the best yeah, way to spend six million? Strategy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's just obviously one example. He's not he's not been terrible, but as yeah, but he's, he's a late twenties player who's not going to increase in value. And exactly. Is he good enough? Is he good enough to justify taking those minutes away from a younger player who could? Exactly. That that was my sort of. That's also yeah, So I was just going to say that was my sort of thinking when I was looking at what their their ins and outs. That this it probably comes back to the original issue around about lacking stability, lacking a manager that's going to have a clear structure and a clear view for them. But that when you look at the arrivals um, over the last three four years, there's there's a lot to be left wanting. Um, I think. Yeah. If you if you look, I mean, they bought in kind of. Yanam Villa, exactly, uh, yeah. Matteo Debuchy, Johan Kabai, kind of players on the way down in their careers. Exactly. Um, do, do you think that the problem is, and I think, and, and this that was, was going to bring me on to my next point, so I just to cut you off there, Tim. But do you think, and Gav mentioned stability there, the Ad Gaultier, who's now obviously done so well at Lille, and obviously Lille have got this really clear plan of how they were. But they never really bat. It was really treading water under Galtier. And he's obviously a good manager, and you know we'll discuss French managers, in, you know, in, in solutions. But do you think that it's that Sanetien really just treaded water each year, and they don't seem to have a long term plan? Like you look at Kasri. Kasri came in, I think, on loan originally, if I remember rightly, and then he's done well. And then he, as as Gav said, they bought him. Do you think there's a lack of long term plan? It's it's very, it's too much year to year, and that's maybe why they don't make any progress. And they had that fourth, of course, under Gasset. And now this year, this season, obviously before it was it was, was cancelled, they were seventeenth in the league. Do you think that, that tread and water leads to such a fluctuation in performance? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's an issue throughout football. The clubs with a plan are always working towards something, and I think it's fairly clear when you get a a club who have a positive vision of where they want to be, and they kind of work towards that. And I think you also get clubs who just just want to exist in the top division. And yes, they'll they'll have ambitions. It's probably unfair to say they haven't got ambitions because they will have. But what they don't necessarily have is someone working hard to put that infrastructure in place where they can build towards something. I mean, every I hate using Liverpool as an example because. A, they've got lots of money, and B, it's Liverpool. But they've had a, yeah, plan. a smart club. That's they've, had, they've had an obvious plan, and they've they've built towards it over the course of successive managers, and they've recruited to it, and they train every day, working on a system that they know works for them. And all the youth players they recruit are recruited based on their ability to, in the future, fit into that system. So you've, you're working towards something. Whilst if you're just looking for good players. Everyone can find good players and everyone can get good players, but can you blend them together into a winning team? And if your star player leaves, is have you got a ready-made replacement? Or are you then trying to buy two or three players to recreate what that star player bought you? And it's really difficult if you just don't have a vision of where you want to be. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And, and just a, one final sort of... I guess observation of the of the transfer strategy that I felt maybe uh, illuminates this a little bit again was the, I think uh, in the same summer they signed um, Sadie Yanko on a free from Celtic who who by all means is not a superstar but then they went out and signed Matthew Debussy who was uh, you know uh, on a downward spiral from Arsenal uh, in the same summer and they then sold Yanko a year later for two million and continued with Debussy as he's continued to age when. Actually, would there have been value in sticking with someone like Sadie Yanko and allowing them to develop in the French league uh, rather than taking the quick hit of one or two million, whatever they got from? And again, it just comes back to that lack of 
sort of longer term thinking, especially if you want to, for me, if you want to be, I know this is maybe jumping to solutions here, but you, you really need to have that clear strategy if you're wanting to try and get anywhere near PSG. And I know that's an astronomical task, but I think if any French club is wanting to do that, they need to have a, a five, 10 year strategy like you're mentioning with Liverpool. So I think you've put that really well there. I think that's an, a, a nice segue, really. I think, you know, in terms of how, you know, maybe the, the target can't be to win the title every year like you used to in the 60s and 70s because of the PSG and that gap, that gap's so big. But, we'll, you know, in terms of solutions, we'll move on, you know, we'll move on to how, you know, San Etienne can become irrelevant. You know, you know, whether, we, you know, I don't like to say this about clubs, they're not irrelevant because obviously they're still a very big, proud, famous club. However, their the, the results over the last 20, 30 years haven't befitten of a team who had such a period of dominance, you know. So I, what, I, what I would say is, you know, if you look at teams who, you know, obviously Campos is obviously very famous in France because he obviously built the Monaco side before he left. Uh, that won the title, and now he's with Lille, who obviously got you know did so well last season. And, you know, and based on the way they work, they do they, they, they perform well above what the you know the plan is to sell players and sign smartly. Do you think you know? Obviously, we that is our general feeling as you know as, as a company. That's how we were. You know, you know data led recruitment insights. Is, do you think that you know it, when you haven't got money, that is the best solution for French clubs because they are such good producers of talent. If they can then add the smart, the the, the long term plan and the smartness to what they do, do you think that that would that would make the difference and we find a bit more stability in what they do? Yeah, I think France is a very good example, as you say, with camp, the work that Campos has done at uh, various clubs and the kind of head of recruitment is a, is a very well, well respected position in France. Um, with the with the ability of the French leagues to produce young players, you've You've got to kind of, I always look at kind of football as a way of running a club would be, how are you going to get, how are you going to do something different to everyone else? So if you work in a league where everyone produces good young talent and it's quite evenly spread, how are you going to make sure that the talent is identified early and you are attractive to that talent? So um, I think in France generally, I mean, certainly with Saint-Étienne, they've, they've shown the fact they will play young players you don't get many teams who throw in 17 18 year old center backs into the top five european leagues and they've they've done that a few times recently you've got um paris Saint-Germain who are producing the talent but offering no pathway and young players i think are much smarter than they probably have been in in recent decades and they they look ahead to they're going to be millionaires whatever they do and uh you, so you've got to be looking for that pathway through into the first team. So, so if that that's a, that's one solution is yeah, play youth, play youth, get the best youth, get it into your team early and offer the pathway. And I know they've been linked with uh, is it Adil Shushi of PSG who yes, been, he's he's gone to have a look at the training ground, didn't he? He's been, had a look around and he's at least considering going to to the club. And they they've got a good reputation for developing talent, and they they obviously won't stand in the way of players. So you've got that, but is that is that unique enough within France, or does it need to be coupled with a a playing style that is different to to what everyone else does? And I think that is something we'll we'll cover in a few minutes' time. Is how do you differentiate yourself in a league from every other team, and how do you how do you make yourself that unique proposition for players? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. So. Uh... Just to quickly touch on the current manager Claude Puel, um, if you mm. if you look at the performances since he took over, it's it's really really poor. Uh, there's no other way to put it, and it's it's very similar to how things sort of transpired for him in both uh, Southampton and Leicester. And I, I think there's something about so I I I do believe in like people deserve second chances third chances all these sort of stuff and that you might find someone in the right conditions might prosper like obviously Ranieri did with Leicester to win the title etc so there there can be things where taking a chance on someone um and giving them the redemption opportunity might work but I I feel with Puel with his style his way of playing that's not going to differentiate you to the vast majority of the rest of league one and it's not going to be able to propel you up the table enough to 
to make your team, I guess, like Andy said, about making them relevant in the eyes of the, the European market. Because at best, you know, I think a, a, an appointment like Puel maybe, you know, could could steady the ship. But, the you know, when you look at the ceiling um, versus the floor, you're much closer to the floor with Claude Puel than you are, you know, if you take a chance on someone different that maybe viewed it a little bit differently. So I, I just questioned that again. It comes back to what was the strategy when appointing Puel? Was it, you know, we just needed someone that knew the league, you know, but... Well, that, that's actually a really good point because I was going to bring it on to managers anyway. And I think Claude Puel, you're right, Gav, is, you know, he's a solid manager. I think he's done well in, in France at various times. And I think he's done well in England. I think if you, you know, there's a difference between the Premier League and Liga. You know, the, the Premier League teams generally, sometimes there's a lot of teams who just generally stay to play in the league for the financial aspect of it. And I think Claude Puel will get you, is a manager who can get you those results. He can get you 15th, 14th, 13th place. He's not... I don't think he's ever going to be a manager who's going to push you into the European places and you're going to win things with Claude Puel, but I certainly don't think he's a bad manager. But in general, we'll, we'll, just a little discussion that I wanted to bring up, and this is something I listened to on the Football Today podcast recently. Where are the, the, the new age French managers? We, me and Tim discussed this off air before about where are the, you know, all right, so, you know, in the last you know, 30 years, you've had Arsene Wenger, obviously, is one of the most revolutionary managers in it. Maybe not in world football, but in terms of English football, he changed, completely changed the game in terms of the way players, the style of play, in terms of nutrition off the pitch and how people conducted themselves. You know, you had Gerard Houlet, did well at Liverpool. You know, you had Didier Deschamps, who's done well in club management. You've had Laurent Blanc, who's done pretty well in club management as well. But apart from... You know, John Sagana did okay when you, you know, Monaco when he did well, you know, reasonably well at Fulham as well. But apart from those managers, it's not like a, you know, France is a much bigger country than, say, Portugal. But Portugal seems to produce these managers who go all over Europe and do well and have, a, you know, the tactical periodization, that, that philosophy. What is the what is the identity of French coaches and what what's happened to that young? Where are the young dynamic French coaches? Do do you think that part of this? And I don't want to stereotype or label the you know all of France here, but do you think that's part of like the the cultural aspect that maybe to go abroad you require a bit more you know fire tenacity, whereas that's not necessarily a characteristic that you would associate with um, you know the sort of French French managers that that we we picture like Wenger etc and again I think it's very much condition based but I, I wonder just now in football because of how volatile it is and how little time that clubs give you that unless you have that um, level of built-in resilience whether you, you even have the opportunity to be successful just based on how your character is and I know that's quite a, a broad statement but mm. does that make sort of sense in, in terms it, of it yeah yeah I can, I, can, yeah I can understand that Oh, yeah, it does make sense. I mean, you've you've obviously got Zidane has won multiple sorry, Champions course. League, that was a bit of... but it's. I think you've probably got you've always I always say you've got two types of managers. You've got your big name ex player who commands respect by the fact that they are Zinedine Zidane or Patrick Vieira or, or whoever, and they can go into a dressing room and they've they've played all around the world. They're kind of multilingual. They're well respected by their peers. They've they've achieved everything. And then you've got your second group of people who seem to thrive in the German league, particularly, which is your football geek wonder kid coaches who have completed all their badges before they finish primary school. They've, <laughs> developed, they've been writing for various online blogs for years and they've, they've built up a, a following and they've got their first head coach job by 27. And I, other than like Julien Stefan. I can't really see any examples of those outside of... Uh... Patrick, I guess, yeah, I suppose Patrick Vieira would be the other young manager who's probably got a chance of doing well. But Patrick Vieira is, is obviously not that type of manager, Tim. And Julian Stefan's a great example. He's done extremely well with, with and see. But even that was pure luck because he almost took the assistant manager job at Monaco when Thierry Henry went there and he probably never would have got the opportunity. And obviously Henry's not Montreal Impact. But... Do, do, even look at the you know you look at the national team. Do you think that there's a do you think there's a definable French style, or do you think it's a, a more of a the the how they fit the the, the it's it, they're more interested in fitting the style to the to the to the players rather than their own philosophy or identity. I think there's there's a there's a French kind of formation and it's kind of played across the uh, across the leagues, League One and League Two. League Two generally is a more defensive version of it. But it's a kind of four-three-three with solidity in the middle, 
a bit of width in the front, but not too much, and a, a strongish centre forward. And most teams play some variation of that, apart from um, probably the, the PSGs and the, the mega clubs who, when they get an Mbappe type, will, will alter based on the players. But if you watch a League Two game, they're often a flat back five, four strong midfielders, and a big lad up front. And it's not like particularly entertaining, particularly this season, League Two. Um, but the players are so good individually that you do get good moments. But they often they often, often games where they cancel each other out. They've got like three six foot four centre backs, two quite defensive wing backs, three big defensive midfielders, and maybe they'll allow themselves a flair player to go alongside the strikers. They often get a small number ten buzzing around linking play, and that's quite a stereotype. But it's it's fairly accurate this season for the leagues. And I think just France just produces so many good players that they can go into a standard 4-3-3 and they can beat most teams at international level. And at club level, yeah, they, they can just set out a solid team. I, could, I can look at the, uh, the fourth division in France where they play a lot of the players who are going to be stepping into the squad. So it's like the reserve league mixed with some amateur teams. And you can see in that league, there are so many players who could play at a higher level. And there's probably like, another few hundred players of League Two level spread around all the regional leagues. So it's a question of like, how do you, how do you take those good players and try and do something more than just here, here are some good players in a standard lay- lineup and win games? Tim, just on that point then, do you think that there's maybe an advantage for, or a potential advantage for a club to look at markets outside France when there is so much... Uh, competition for these sort of players. If you're a Saint Etienne, how do you, what what differentiates you to Nice or Rennes or any of these other clubs? So, do, you know, I'm thinking, is there something rather than you know, um, just looking at what what you already know? Is, yeah, yeah, I know. There's there's obviously the domestic market, and that's where France is the world's best talent producer. You should always be shopping in France. What um Deep ocean. Yeah, Mets have managed to do is mm. to open up a Generation Foot Academy. It's not really an academy, it's a full team in in Senegal. And they are producing player after player after player suitable for the first team. You look at Nice, they've I don't know if it's an official partnership, but they've bought a lot of players from uh, Paradou in Algeria. So using these kind of um connections in kind of the French speaking parts of Africa has massively increased the uh, the scouting zones for French teams and they're still I still think there's further they can go in that area and certainly in terms of value for money I think I've read that Mets are paying something along the region of one and a half million pounds a year to run generation foot and that is producing I think we've discussed Habib Diallo on a previous podcast and many others who have already yeah, Sadio Mane and all these players have already come through the uh, the the setup. So yes, there's there's the the kind of using your French speaking Africa connections, but also just in generally in terms of scouting, where where do they recruit from, and is there potential to bring players in from other regions? And I think the answer is yes. France has got more money now. Um, I think perhaps there's a, a slight linguistic. Um, in part to it and I know lots of people obviously have gone to France not speaking French and succeeded but I think the French generally favour recruiting managers certainly and also players who are speak French and I think there's obviously reasons for that and good reasons for that but I think there's probably football is a universal language and French non-English speaking French players have come to England and succeeded so I think it could work the other way around I think there just needs to be a a bit more variety. It's very samey, the French League, in terms of where they recruit from and who they recruit. I think the French League, if you, I th- these, this is my two thoughts, and I think you know, you look at Lille and you look at Monaco, I know Monaco have got much more money than a Lille, and they've, you know, they haven't got as much as PSG, but they're a different sort of category. But if you look at a, a Lille and maybe even you know, you know, clubs like Angers, there's a smaller version of that where they, you know, they, they are smart. I think I think you know on last week's podcast I talked about with you know AC Milan it was more evolution you know Italian football not revolution maybe it's time for a revolution in French football I think 
you know, obviously they're such brilliant producers of talent. And Tim rightly pointed out there's so many players in all of the divisions. It, you know, you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't be giving minutes to Matthew, you know, to, to you know to, to Bushi and players of that ilk who are, you know, if you are a club who struggles financially, maybe you should be. Obviously, they are giving minutes to Fafan and Saliba, but there's so many good players in those divisions who you could give minutes to, and obviously either sell or they can become good quality players. You know, you look at you know all the players that down the leagues that you know we talked about off here that Red Bull have signed at young ages and you know Inter Milan signed that Luciana Gume for, for free and. I like the fact that they're looking at Ochiche as well from Paris Saint-Germain, but so much talent in France that there really shouldn't be an excuse of how not to you know exploit them. And also, as Tim says, the, the work pair is, the system is quite favourable yeah. to African players, so you can stock up on a good quality side. And you, you've seen Lille have signed you know, Brazilians and Gabriel Magalhães. They signed, obviously, you see Chief from Turkey as well. They signed Victor Oshemen. Obviously, they signed him from Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg. But they've, they, they, they've looked at markets that you know will come to France as a step up. And I think that French French teams have got a real opportunity that, that if they were smart, that they could really establish themselves as the second or third or the fourth team in France quite quickly and get that regular Champions well, League money. That that brings us on to solutions then. So mm. so what I I think the obvious gap in France isn't so much on recruitment of players, although obviously that no, no. is our our thing. And I, I we do believe that the best way to improve a club is to buy better players. But but where is the the French club who are going to take on that Red Bull mantle? Or, or the Atalanta mantle. Might, Atalanta might be a better example. Who is the club who are just going to do something different, either tactically and really commit to a system that no one else plays and really kind of go into every game being that team that people look at and think, wow, they're doing something different. We're not used to playing against this style. Who, who, Who's doing that at the moment? Everyone is just looking to buy the best version of the players to fit this kind of standard system. But there's not one French club who is standing out and doing something radically different. And I think there is a, a huge gap, certainly for from a, a tactical point of view, for someone to come in and kind of shake things up. Yeah, that, that sort of leads me on to what I was thinking about with for, for my thoughts around about St Etienne. I feel that the Atalanta model is a better opportunity for a, a French team to, to get closer than necessarily the Red Bull because there's so many teams in in France that will give minutes to the, the younger players. So maybe picking off players that are maybe not super experienced because you still want to be able to have the revenue stream um, to sell them on if, if you know they, they are successful. But I think you have to look at how can you approach it differently and how can you do what what is, is different. And one of the things I thought about was at the, the management position was, you know, Maybe looking at, I think I said to you guys, is looking at someone like Pablo Machine, who's sort mm. of fell off the wagon a bit recently, but he will come with different views. He's not going to be pre-conceptualized to French football. It gives him an opportunity to reset. He's got a unique style. Or, well, his Girona team had a very unique style. I know he had some issues with um, Sevilla and, and Espanyol, so there is there is a risk attached to that. But it goes back to the point I made earlier around about your ceiling versus your floor. And I think with a manager like Pablo Machine, you've got a much higher ceiling versus someone like Claude Puel. And you have an opportunity to approach the league differently and approach it in a, a manner that that you can build a team that's not necessarily directly focused on giving minutes to 18, 19-year-olds or competing to get the minutes to the 18, 19-year-olds because so many teams can do it. You're looking at how can you make your team the best version of themselves like Atalanta have. And that's where... I thought, you know, someone like Machine might be able to give that reset and might be able to have a style that could be different to everything else in France. And have you got any thoughts? I know I know we spoke about um you had you had some love for him in uh, his time at Girona. So what, what would you think to that sort of shout? I, I obviously we're not someone, you know, and I know you you mean this as well, we're not someone who like actively wants managers to lose the job. But I agree though with a manager like Machine, who obviously don't be wrong, I, I, we're at I thought I, I had him pegged before he went to Sevilla to be a top, you know to be a top manager. Same same in Italy I talked about last week about Roberto De Zerbi, Sassuolo. Managers who are managing smaller teams who are thinking outside of the box and, and Machine is another one. Obviously I know Spain's produced a lot more progressive and expansive managers, obviously 
Pep Guardiola being the main one. But there's been other managers over the years that have done really well. But, you know, it's not just Bashir, of course. But the, the idea around that is, you're right, Gav, is someone who's going to come in and change the way they, they do things, change the player development. Now, there's no problems with player development in France. I've got, you know, not I, there's, there's no issues with that whatsoever. However, things need... You could, there is a scope for evolution. I think if teams tried something... Don't be wrong, I know everyone's scared of being relegated, but the... I think if, if you know San Etienne wanted to get back to maybe not the former glories because in this these times when the, the the you know the European Club Association type teams are all you know basically blocked off that ascension, but to be a team who's regularly competing for trophies and is regularly performing in Europe, I think they do need to look outside the box or maybe find the French manager, whoever it may be, you know, in France like Gilles Stéphane, even though he's not that tactically different than other French managers, he does play four four two. However, but they need to think outside the box. And I think that's the main solution. What we're discussing is really is there's nothing, you know, whereas with AC Milan, we discussed last week where there's the transfers with the issue and a lot of the time, lack of cohesive, lack of stability. There needs to be more stability at, at San Etienne, but there needs to be a plan. And maybe by bringing in a younger manager who's going to be there for three, four, five years and make that the San Etienne style, if you will, or you know, or maybe not even just a particular style, maybe just an ethos, a culture. Yeah, it doesn't have do to be. Where do you think outside the box? Exactly. It doesn't have to be a single formation. It just has to be what type of, what, what is the kind of, what is a San Etienne player going to play like? And it can be a principle. Yeah. yeah, and it's a principle that you apply throughout the squad, whether that's, high energy, whether that's extreme technical skill, whether that's whatever that is, you've you've got to approach the fact you're going to be building a team over a five-year period with a, de- a defined end of five. In five years' time, we are going to have this, 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 and this in place. We're going to be the, the club that, I mean, Red Bull, not only, I know we always mention Red Bull, but they, they, they did look at football like this. They looked at where are the, where can you break into a, a closed shop? How can you differentiate yourself and if you are looking at France you're looking at great players but average tactical innovation and that's you're going to say a lot of French people would listen to that and say we're world champions we don't need to we don't need to do things differently but for an individual club if you're competing against richer clubs who are doing exactly the same thing as you are you will always lose you might fluke one season of overperformance but in the end, the clubs with more money will always win if you take them on at the same game. So you really do have to look and see where can you differentiate. And in France, that is definitely, from our point of view, tactical innovation. What can you do differently? Yeah, I think the, 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 you need an edge. And I think that that's why I said revolution in a sense that I think it's time that, you know, French clubs, you know, I think this is that Lille are fairly smart. And I think the campus is a very, you know, very efficient at that. But they still got Christophe Galtier, who's, of course, at San Etienne. If you look at PSG, you're obviously now the most forefront forerunner club in France. They had Laurent Blanc, and Laurent Blanc did, let's be honest, really well as manager. But what they thought is he was a little safe tactically in Europe. And they thought that they had to go to someone who was a bit more, what can I say, more tactically expansive, more tactically nuanced, if you will, to get here than Champions League. They went with you and I, Emery. Mixed results there, I guess, especially the Barcelona game and losing the title to Monaco. But you know, now they've got Thomas Tuchel, obviously, is he you know, another favourite of ours, I guess, and a favourite amongst you know what people call football hipsters. But Thomas Tuchel is someone who who I believe is the type of you know manager France should look to be producing. A, you know, someone who's you know you know innovative and, he, and he's someone who looks you know, looks at different things and he's he's always looking to change the way he does things. And I think that that's been the issue in France. Is I think that. I mean, they produce such good players, but they don't produce great. You know, they're not producing coaches as much as they once did. And I think the key element of what we're trying to say, and you know, I've gone a long way the way about it, is that there's there's marginal gains to be had in France, probably more than any other top five league. Definitely. I think if you were if you were buying into a football club, we've discussed this many times, Tim. France is the place where you would look to buy a club because it is the probably the best place. To probably you know get those marginal gains where you could be a Champions League club quite quickly. It is. It's like if you're going to buy a vineyard, you buy in the place that produces the best grapes, and uh, mm-hmm. that's quite a good analogy for France generally. So Love that. yeah, you've got the best. The best terroir is in <laughs> France, and uh, you can definitely. If I if I was speaking to a billionaire investor, I'd be saying, "Have a look. Have a look. This is the place you should be buying." And if you're building a club network. 
having a, a place in France is definitely a good idea. Gav, any thoughts? Yeah, just I just totally agree with everything you've said. It, it makes it makes perfect sense, and um, and there's so many opportunities. And I think we we've already covered a lot of the benefits of um, regionally what what you get if you buy a club in France. Um, so I, I don't know if there's too much more I can add to that other than I totally agree with what you've just said. No, I think what we I think the, the, the main points to take away from us I think we need San we probably agree that San Etienne need a plan. Oh yeah, sorry. Treading water, they need to think. You know, you're right. They need to think outside the box, maybe in terms of coach and manager, and in terms of transfer strategy, maybe change slightly the having those older players. I know Rufier's a very good, he's been a good goalkeeper for the years. They've got the Boucher, I've got actually got the squad here. So just have a look. They've got Perrin, who's been the captain for a long time. But as you said, they've got they've bought Hamuna, they've got Moulin, they've got Mavia. These are players who are probably towards the end of the, you know, past the prime now. And I think, you know, they've, they've bought okay, Kasri, as we discussed earlier, Boo the Boos, they're players who've been around the French League for a long time. But, you know, they've got young, good young players we discussed for Farn and Saliba before. They've got Nordan, who's put decent numbers, Yusuf. And Dennis Buangri, whether you, whether you think rate him or not, you know, is a player, technically, he's, he's a goal scorer. He knows exactly where to be and puts the ball in the, in the back of the net. So, there's a, there's a scope for, you know, San Etienne are in the worst position, but you can see with that, the, 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 there's a club of potential there, yeah. and they could be they could be a club who, who are playing regular European football. It's just that they need to make right decisions and put a plan in place. I think, unlike AC Milan last week, where obviously AC Milan have got the money really to ch- to change things quite quickly, and obviously access to coaches like Ralph Ragnick. But San Etienne, I think, in a smaller scale, can do it much maybe not not as quick, but I think they can be more effective, and their trajectory can be much faster. And some some other clubs around Europe. So if we were talking about, for example, like Nottingham Forest, this would be a much more difficult conversation. But I think in France, yeah. it's much easier to change change your plan, change your course, and I think. And I hope for one myself that Sanetti and, and do do that. Yeah, I think that's a, a really a really good point. And again, it's something we've obviously laboured in this. I think it is going to be the first club that does approach it differently and does take the risk. Is going to be the club that has the the biggest opportunity to propel themselves into the the European frame on a more regular basis so I I just I I think it's interesting isn't it how you know football's always on on a a knife edge in terms of every decision that's made but right now maybe a decision that is a little bit more on the reckless side rather than the safer side could be the decision that gets you where you need to be definitely so many partner thoughts no, that's, that, that covers it all nicely. So uh, I think we've wrapped very much San Etienne in a lovely green bow. Yes, I think so. No questions and answers this week, unfortunately. We're a bit short of time. What I would say is would you please subscribe to the uh, podcast, on whether it's iTunes, Spotify, or any other. We're trying to get it on Acasts. Gav is investigating that. Um, also, we've got some good, we've got some good blogs in recently, a couple of good guest blogs. We've got a good blog, I think, coming out today or tomorrow as well so please keep an eye on the website and the twitter for that follow us at insights market on twitter and hope to see you next week fellas thank you very much for this week and we'll be back next week thank you very much au revoir